name? Now I'm just forgetting it. Is his name Brandon? They tried to charge um, my my friend from the National League of Cities, who's here, mm-hmm. um, sixty dollars to get in. What? Oh, like no my club God. ever is worth sixty dollars to get in. No. no, and it's usually like a hundred in Miami, so that's for cover. Yes, yes, for men. Who, yes. Who is another letting reason, this happen? Right, another reason. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. In the line, I, I just don't even wait in lines anymore. No, well, you just go my, straight to the front. No, I just don't go. I mean, I'm yeah. just not going to yeah, go right. in. Right, I'm not going to wait in the line. Yes. I'm not going to wait in the line, and I'm not paying a cover. So right. who's right. going to live tonight? You guys going to go? No, we're going to Twist. What's twist. Another club? Is that where you're going? The Gay Night Club. Oh, I don't have any set plans yet. Hmm. Yeah. She's like, I'm taking a nap. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. So, folks, it's uh, Doug Thornell. I'm here with my. My co-host, my guest co-host, and, we, and I'm here to Alexi help you McCann. plan your weekend. Yeah, we're trying to just figure out what we're going to do tonight here in Miami. <laughs> I'm just disappointed there are no hotel robes. I love a good plush hotel robe. That's false. I've, you have one. Me and my roommate, uh, we each have one. Okay, really? then I need. That's to call the first Dan. thing when she arrived I yesterday. I said, Are you staying the, here? At the yeah. Interview? Yeah, and I told I her. So they gave yours like, to her. Just slippers? ask. Okay, good. Just ask. Wow, and they're this. really comfy. Uh, yeah, I love a good hotel robe. <laughs> well, I know I, what I'm doing tonight, folks. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Trying to find out. Hotel, hotel robe. robe. And the tubs <laughs> are deep. So. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. We're done. Like okay. Us. Coming to you live from the hotel from robe. Yes. In the bathtub. Yes. Uh so we're back here in uh, Miami for the uh, Young Elected Officials Conference. And... Um, We've had a great time getting to know uh, some really talented uh, elected officials from all over the country, uh, but particularly from places that are um, important to the presidential campaign. And we've got two more um, superstars here um, from uh, from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I love Iowa. You know, I actually lived in Iowa for a little bit. Where? I was in Des Moines. Okay. Yeah. 99 and 2000, I was there for the Gore campaign. Um, but we have Ashley Van Orney, who is a council member from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Ashley, welcome, welcome. to Thank the you. electables. Thank you. And you did a great job with that bohemian name. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> did I get it right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well Good. done. Thank nice. you. Uh, and then Daniel Hernandez, who's a state representative from, uh, Tucson, Arizona. Daniel, welcome to the electables. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you both here. Have you heard some giggling in the background in earlier episodes? It might have been It was me. Daniel. Yeah. No, fully admit it, yeah. <laughs> Daniel's a fan of the show, actually. Good. I'm a subscriber. He's a subscriber. Oh, and yeah. everyone else listening should be. Everyone <laughs> else should be. And everybody that's on should like, subscribe, rate, yes. five stars. Yes, that's five right. stars. <laughs> that's right. And I love Ashley. Ashley's got a button on her jacket of speaker Nancy Pelosi. Um one of my heroes uh, from the State of the Union. Yeah, the meme <laughs> that get went that? viral when she's So clapping. this is from Ray Gun, which is oh. uh, based, it, it started in Des Moines. They have stores in Iowa City, Cedar Rapids. So they have a Cedar Rapids pin. We don't have an official pin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just use theirs. And uh, they really give me life because they have all the, the funny, subtle things happening. Like our Sorry About Steve King shirts and everything like that. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're still sorry about store. him. Oh, Steve King. What's going to... Can we? Is that how we're going to start? Let's. Yeah. I mean, we can we can talk about him. <laughs> I mean, you know, the sad thing is this: um, when I talk to some of my other um, young progressives in Iowa, one of the things that they told me they said, "But he's really nice to his staff," which is hard, right? Because hmm. policy-wise, I have no respect for him. Period. Um, 
So then it makes it hard when you realize that still at the end of the day, these are still people who have families and people that they're kind to and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, we, we deserve so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not even is... on any committees. I mean, right. What are we paying for? Is um, JD Schulten going to run against him again? Do you think? He is very actively engaged in yeah. politics. Um, he's everywhere. Um, so we'll see more from him for sure. But who are the people that he's nice to? That's what I want to know. <laughs> his staffers, his staffers and, and women staffers. This is what I heard, and this was from somebody that was incredibly uh, credible to me. And I, and I had to step outside of my own box and say, okay, well, so there's something salvageable about him. There's at least one redeeming quality. He's nice to the self-selected right. Right. people in his office. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I have some confidence that this might be his last term. It better be. Well, and there's Republicans that are going to primary him, too. Yeah. 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 Good. Who are getting more support as well? Yes, didn't his Republican primary challenger outraise him by yes. a ton? If I yes. remember correctly, yeah. So that's one sign. Uh, We're in all the direction in the tea. He's going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like who are the Democrats secretly donating to his Republican primary challengers? Right. That's right. a good story. Ashley, how did you get started in politics? Um, you know, interestingly enough, um, I was a political science major, but I never considered running for politics. It, it didn't even occur to me. Um, this happened in self-reflection after um, President Trump won. Um, I was sitting at an election party watching um, the first black supervisor of Lynn County in Iowa become uh, elected. And hours later, we watched as literally the, the color rushed out of our face and realized that this is actually happening. And I remember staying in a bar past bar close, which you know, generally as a former bartender, you want everybody to get the hell out of there. But um, I remember watching that speech and and it was so silent. We just, we lost all hope and it was, and I still intrinsically remember that feeling. And so I went in that day, um, Beyonce had just dropped her album and I was playing one of the songs mm. on repeat and I was just like walking around all cocky at work and everything like this, we're going to can do this like this is this is the time it's a woman is going to you know take her rightful uh you know place in the white house and and then that didn't happen and the next day i just remember um as somebody who's really connected to music i couldn't play anything i had no love in my heart i mean it was just there was nothing i was completely void of that and so um i remember asking myself did i do everything that i could have done to elect hillary clinton um, to prevent Trump from taking office. And no, I didn't. You know, I kindly would uh, answer the door and give people encouragement when they repeatedly, at, you know, knocked on my door. I answered all the calls. I let them know, like, I early voted and all this stuff. But I didn't, I didn't phone bank. Um, I didn't knock doors. This is how we lose. You know, if we don't take this stuff seriously, because I also remember my um, political science friends from college that are Republicans or independents. And, and I remember asking them too, well, who are you watching? And we all joked about Trump. And they said, mm -hmm. well, people are voting for him because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But that's how we got to where we are, right? And I think we can all agree um, wholeheartedly that every single day is fucking ridiculous. It never stops being ridiculous. Every day I wake up and I think, okay, now we've reached a new level of depravity. This can't get any worse. And then it gets worse. And we keep having to spend so much of our time going over, you know, very basic shit. 
and it's very frustrating. So um, I kind of taking this Bernie approach wanted to, um, and, and I was the Hillary delegate from the start, but I really appreciated um, Senator Sanders, um, a lot of the words that he had. And, and I realized that at a minimum, I can control what happens in my own community. So I doubled down on my foster care charities, which is um, really what gives me a lot of life is supporting children in, in aging out of foster care. And I just went on this mission and I said, you know, everybody in Iowa, all elected officials, all policymakers are going to know everything about what the needs are for children in foster care. And it was after I wrote this very nice letter um, to all my elected officials that represented me, inviting them to some of our causes that I didn't get a response. I mean, Senator Grassley's office called me. It wasn't him, but it was somebody. And, and you know, just let me know what he was he had going on. And he was very genuinely um interested in the cause, which I really appreciate. And I've since talked to him about that, how much that meant for him to call and, and reach out and just say, you know, what can I do to help support? Um, but my own council member didn't. And my own council member was uh, up for a fourth term, was a Democrat. And um, I just came to that conclusion that we can't keep doing the same old, same old stuff because what ends up happening is if we don't fight for every single person in every single office to be the best that they can be, you know, if we don't fight for excellence at every single point, we end up with President Trump. And so I remember asking a bunch of stakeholders, you know, do you think that he's doing the best job that he could? Nobody said that. They said, oh, well, he knows John Kerry. And he said, well, John Kerry doesn't live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> Great. That's a cool story, bro. Like, but it doesn't matter. And then they said, oh, well, you know, he talks with Hillary Clinton. And I said, same thing. Like, it doesn't matter. And I just committed to putting in the sweat equity that it took to, um, to deserve better. It ended up being that, um, you know, in hindsight, he just was elderly enough that he didn't, he wasn't familiar with computers. So people would print out his emails, but they wouldn't respond for him. I mean, we're talking in a digital age. Yeah, I mean, you're laughing, but like at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, this is absurd. Mm -hmm. And he was a very well-respected person. I think there were, were plenty of uh, those 12 years that he served that he did a great job, but you know, somebody needed to help a friend out and tap him out and say, all right, now it's time to get somebody else in there who is willing to do the work. And I decided, you know, from myself as I was looking around who's going to do this, that, well, I, you know, caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and said, it's going to have to be you because everybody else is okay with just the status quo. And that's not okay. Wow. That's a great story. That is well, a great thank story. You. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Daniel? And wait, I take it you're not printing out your emails. No. <laughs> no, I, I, I work in IT. So, so I, I'm good. Not. I'm good. You're like, that is a fire hazard. Yeah. Our meetings are now on Facebook Live. You're welcome, millennials. <laughs> Reduce the clicks. Yeah. To all the people that watch the meetings, uh, I started on a school board, and that was one of the first things that I said, why aren't we live streaming our meetings? And they're like, why would we do that? <laughs> people aren't going to watch. And then all the people who do watch and then send, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you doing that? So... <laughs> Yeah, one of our sexiest meetings was our um, our budget hearing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God, that sounds got sexy. a lot of views, and it wasn't just clearly it couldn't have just been you know some of our local reporters yeah. um, watching it over and over again. Although I'm sure that was some of it. Right, Daniel, uh, how'd you get into po politics? Yeah, how'd you? Story? What's your story? Oh Lord, um, so I come from a family that is completely apolitical. My dad 
grew up in Van Nuys, California. We jokingly call him a Mexican redneck because his family's been in California for such a long time that the assimilation of language and culture had happened. He didn't speak Spanish until he met my mother, who was from Nogales, Sonora in Mexico. Um, so he started dating her, and he decided that because he liked her, he was going to learn Spanish. Um, That's a good so, reason. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here today because of that. Um, but they got married. He hadn't voted in 20 years. And in 2007, I had a really weird realization at 17. My mother was a permanent resident alien, um, but refused to become a citizen just because it's really expensive. It's a lot of steps. Um, but my dad had never really engaged in politics. But at 17, I'm sitting in American history class, and I look at the list of all of the presidents, and I realize that there had never been a woman. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm on the track to go to medical school. That's what I want to do. Because when I was younger, I had had an experience where I fell. Um, I was five years old. My sister, Alma, who's now a state legislator with me in Arizona, um, was jumping up and down and kicked me. And I uh, fell backwards, opened up my skull and was bleeding everywhere. And I went to the hospital and it was a really scary place where only people went to go die when I'm five years old, I thought. Um, But I get there and this nurse and this doctor take me into their arms and they say, we want to make you feel better. We're going to send you back home. And they made it less scary. So for me, the idea of helping other people, which is what I'd wanted to do since I was five, was being a nurse or a doctor. But being 17 years old, and for the first time really having the world be open to me as a high schooler, I realized that there were other ways to do stuff. So I signed up online on Hillary Clinton's website because I said, I want a woman president. She's running. I like her. That works. Um, Got a call a couple days later to be an intern on the campaign. Um, learned all of the bad Yiddish words that you're not supposed to say in front of polite company from a bunch of older Jewish women who called themselves the Yentas for Hillary. Um, and very, what, what, I don't know what those words would be. Ah, you know, I'm not going to repeat them in front of polite company, but yeah. I do make a mean brisket in Kugel. So if you're ever in Arizona, <laughs> let me know. And it was these women who taught me about the importance of talking to your neighbors about what's going on and getting them engaged. And the more I did it, the more I liked it. Mm-hmm. After Hillary's campaign ended in June of 2008, I said, never working on a campaign ever again. I hate politics. This is the worst feeling on the planet. And I felt like I had single-handedly, as a 17-year-old gay Latino in Tucson, Arizona, brought down the presidential campaign for Hillary Clinton because it was my first campaign. And the same women who were helping out Hillary's campaign said, well, there's this amazing congresswoman that we think you'd really like. Come to an event. No commitment. And I said, no, I, I hate politics now. It's awful. Well, I walk in, and it's an event for Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. And I had heard about her in the news, but I'd never really seen her in person. And the thing that was really, I think, critical was where Hillary Clinton was like this ethereal uh, figure who I heard on the radio and saw on TV. I couldn't see or touch or like, be anywhere near her. Um, and Gabby was there and greeted everybody with hugs. And the more I listened to her message as a 17-year-old who had had a pre-existing condition, talking about the importance of healthcare, making sure that we protected our veterans, I'm like, all of these things make sense. So I signed up as an intern uh, for her campaign, and I became friendly with her. And for the first time ever, as I got to know her, I was that ubiquitous person that's on a campaign that is always there when they need me, and sometimes even when they don't. Um, So I became friends with her, with her husband and her dad. Um, and her mom, Jinx. Um, So I was just always around. And as I got a little bit older and I started at the University of Arizona, she was the first person ever to push back and ask me why I wanted to be a doctor. Because from the age of five, when I would say, well, I want to be a nurse or a doctor, people would say, that's great. Oh, my God, great. Tap you on the shoulder and give you a thumbs up. 
But she said, well, why? And I said, well, it's because I want to help other people. And that's when she said, well, there are other ways that you can help people. There's policy. There's advocating for people who don't have a voice. And that idea that people couldn't speak for themselves was a foreign concept to me because I was growing up in a very loud Latino family. So the idea that people couldn't speak up for themselves was a weird one. So I started interning in a campaign uh, to get students the ability to vote in a much more easy way at the state of Arizona. So it just kind of snowballed. And then in 2011, there was the shooting, and I was an intern for the office at the time, and I was there when the shooting happened, and I provided first aid to the congresswoman. Shortly thereafter, because I'd been going to the state capitol for three years at this point, there was a vacancy on a school board, and I was 21. I didn't know that much about school board policies or K-12 education, but because of the experience that I had at the state capitol advocating for education just in general, a lot of people approached me and I said, well, I'm not going to do this because I'm not qualified enough. I'm not old enough. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think that this is the right path. So I waited until literally the day before the filing deadline. You needed 135 signatures to get on the ballot for this race. And I said, there's clearly going to be somebody who's going to step up because there are 18,000 kids whose lives are on the line here. And I looked and there was one person who'd filed and she was running to get somebody fired. And she was very explicit that the only reason she was running for office was she didn't like a principal at one of the schools. Oh, so I said, well, if that's the only other person, maybe I can learn all the things I need to learn. <laughs> so I stood out in front of a grocery store with my dad and my mom for a couple of hours, collected 140 signatures. So like barely above the minimum threshold. Thankfully, nobody challenged them <laughs> um, and got on the ballot, worked my butt off raised $10,000 in a day um, and was the most expensive school board race that they'd had in 20 years. Um, one with 60 plus percent of the vote. And I started serving on a school board and I realized at that point that there was a really big gap in a lot of people who were concerned about what was happening in our community, but they didn't see how they could change it. Um, I was on the school board for a year and a half trying to work with the system and I realized that the system was broken. And then instead of trying to fix it from the inside, I needed to help change it. They tried to remove me from office through a recall because I asked too many questions and I asked for accountability. Um, they filed a complaint with uh, the attorney general against me because I clearly was not smart enough at 21 to ask the kind of questions I was asking. They found nothing. And I'm like, wow, these people really don't like me because I'm just trying to hold them accountable. So I looked at the numbers because I'd worked on campaigns and I said, we could recall these people. Like they tried to use it against me, but I can figure out a pathway to beat these wow. people. So at the age of 23, uh, along with a small group of passionate parents and other people in the community, I went from being in a 2-3 minority on the school board to a 4-1 majority. And I became the president after we, we recalled two of my fellow board members wow. to restore and accountability, integrity in the district. And that was the first time that I'm like, wow, people getting together who are passionate have a lot of power. So that for me was a real first example of grassroots organizing, not just being this thing that I read about in the news or saw in history books, but an example of here we are making a difference and trying to improve things. Um, ran for the legislature in 2016, beat a Republican incumbent. Um, and now in Arizona, we're on the verge of taking the state legislature. We're two seats away in the House and two seats away in the Senate. Um, so I've been involved in politics accidentally <laughs> for almost a decade now. Um, I've been an elected official since I was 21. So this is my seventh young elected officials convening. Um, so I'm starting to feel like the elder YO. Um, and now the thing that I'm the proudest of is helping other people, especially young people of color and women get into office. 
And my two sisters are both in office now. So I have one who's a school board member and one who's a state legislator. And all three of us are pain in the asses for my parents because they don't know who they're supposed to be canvassing for or phone banking for. That is sweet. That's wild. You also mentioned something that I think about a lot that is interesting, which is this idea that you realized that there was a disconnect or a gap between people and like their vision of what they wanted to happen and their own personal political power. Do you see that with constituents or folks in your area? Like I, I feel like I I see it with people when I talk to them about like what's going on nationally and with the presidential election. They'll complain about President Trump, but they'll act like they can't do anything about it, right? Yeah. As if their vote isn't a form of political power. Right. But that's not the only political power we have. Like, do you feel like you meet people who want things to change but feel helpless in making that change possible? I think at first they feel helpless, but you know, I have been counseling a lot of people um, since I took office that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody told me there's no way you can do it. He's the three-time incumbent. Um, you know, he's very popular, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but the reality is anything is possible enough with enough time and money. Mm-hmm. So um, what I just explained to people is that the rules are there. Um, they're all online. That's what I did. I have a, a, had a kitchen cabinet. Um, it was me and a, a couple of my girlfriends that, you know, figured this all out. Um, it wasn't rocket science. Um and, and you can do that. If you, want, if you don't like what's happening, we all have that power. If you have the right passion, and I think that that's probably what's the most important thing is, is and you talked about this earlier, what is, your, what is your why? What do you honestly, fundamentally, are you a good person? Do you care enough to try? Um, are you willing to put in the time and, and work to you know, look at the evidence-based policies and figure out a, a way forward? And if you are, all of the other stuff, the money, um, organizing, you know, trying to get signatures, all of that other stuff, it, it will come naturally. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point, which is we have a lot of these people who are in elected office who have figured out the game. Right. And because they have figured out the game, they have cornered the market. So we have a lot of really mediocre people in elected office at every level. But what has happened is I think because of a lot of folks getting involved in campaigns in 2016 particularly, people are saying, well, why don't I – check it out or learn. So we're seeing a lot of people who are non-traditional candidates running for office and winning. Um, The fact that we have the most diverse Democratic caucus that we've ever had in the U.S. House of Representatives is a perfect example. People like Katie Hill, who goes online, figured out, uh, what is my nearest competitive district? Oh, it's me. Maybe I should run. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, who's a member of YAO, um, Ilhan Omar, all of these folks who you don't normally see in office, And what are they doing? They're changing the system and saying, you know, we're not going to keep playing this game where we're going to play by the rules. We're going to figure out how to do it on our own. And sometimes that means working twice as hard and getting half as far, um, but doing something to change so that we don't keep reelecting these mediocre people who have just figured out you click this box and this box and then you're in and nobody challenges them because they've been around for 12 years. Oh, why would you do that? They're, they're good enough. Right. And I think that's yeah. what folks are getting frustrated with and saying good enough is no longer enough. It, it's not. And, and that's one thing that I didn't run to, you know, give Ashley a title. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't run for that. Um, you know, I found ways to be in leadership roles without a title. That was never what this was about. Um, and what I, when I do speaking engagements, particularly for kids younger than me, um, I always remind them that 
if they, you know, if we don't have excellent in office right now in whatever role it is, um, you maybe, you know, have to be the one to run for that and that we always deserve that. So if at some point in time, I won't take any offense. If somebody can come behind me and do anything better than I'm doing right now, they deserve to win. Mm -hmm. Because that's honestly what we need. We need everybody going full steam, really caring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. What about unique challenges that you found when running for office? Um, like unique to you being a woman or being yeah. Latino? Or well, this was my first um, public office. I had almost always worked, other than some stints in retail and bartending, things like that, I had almost always worked in uh, public service. Um, Which I feel like would help you. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand um, – how things work. You know, I, I interned with federal law enforcement. I worked with social security administration. Um, you know, I, I currently am a state employee for a couple more days. Um, I'm taking a, a job at a local hospital. Um, oh, wow. so no more commuting, which is wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, some of the things that you have to consider is, um, I'm losing my train of thought. It's okay. It's okay. It's Friday. And it's a podcast. It's been a long yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. No. What is what? What's been a challenge for you oh, as a yes. candidate? Right. Um. So it's this, these protective class things, right? Mm -hmm. Um. When you go for a job interview, people can't talk to you. You know, they can't ask you about your age. They can't ask you about your race, religion, sexuality, um, marital status, whether you have kids or not. And and um, I understand that I appear younger than I am. Um, which maybe is great. I guess I'll just thank I'm my grandparents that. for that. But, um, you know, I have no control over that. Um, but when I went to the door, it took so long to get to policy issues. Everybody want the yeah. number one question they want to know is, do you have kids? Are you married? Wow. I don't care what I'm doing today or tomorrow with, you know, my uterus or my ovaries. That is not the most important part about me. Right. And yet that was what I continually had wow. to get past in order to talk about you know, how I could help them with their streets or water or anything like that. Hmm. That's frustrating. Yeah. And do you think it's because of like Midwestern values in Iowa that people we are so focused? I mean, I'm from Illinois, but like my parents call me every other day and they're like, when are you going to give us grandkids? You <laughs> yeah. know, and I'm like, when are you going to give us? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly, I think it's, but it's this thing that's expected. I think. Yeah, it's, it's a problem of, of being a woman, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. Um, it's the expectation that that is the most important thing that I will accomplish with my life is right. um, finding a partner or having children. Right. Procreating. Oh, mm. God. Ashley, so you're um, you're in Iowa, which is uh, the first in the nation with That's the right. caucuses. Yes. Um, I think we have 185 days left. Is that right? Yeah, February 3rd. Not that anyone's counting. Yeah, I looked it up before this. <laughs> February 3rd, 2020. Um, that's actually where I got my start in politics, working on the Iowa caucuses. Um, it's a it's an amazing experience. Um, so for our listeners, can you just talk to us about the Iowa caucuses? I assume, I, I don't know if you've been to, I assume you've been to caucuses and, but it's a unique, very unique experience. Um, unlike a primary, you know, it's over it. The caucuses are during a two, three hour block, a primary lasts all day. So, um, but I'd love to get, just take us through the experience of a caucus. Um, so you will be kind of rationed out across the city, um, based on your precincts. Um, and then you're going to sit there with your neighbors, people that you may know. I remember the last one that I was at, um, uh, in 2016, you know, I was sitting there with former teachers and stuff like that. And it's been, it's been a while. Nice to see you. Um, <laughs> 
and you know some of them had changed names and things like that over the years but um first names or last names last names okay. yeah um and it was interesting to me to be in that experience and then just talking shop with people about like well why do you believe in this person why do you think that that person is the best and and having that that face-to-face conversation with people that again teachers neighbors you know people that you see at the grocery store and convincing them why they should you know preference one person or the other um it's kind of wild hmm. i mean because i remember saying that you know people looked to me at a certain point in time and i had been doing my homework i was really engaged in that and i said you know i just i really believe in hillary and i saw a bunch of people who were undecided you know come over and i was like whoa we're swarming now okay <laughs> mm-hmm. all right well we're gonna give some more yeah. uh points to hillary but um it is interesting though because when people aren't viable then you literally see campaigns live or die yeah. In Iowa caucuses, and I mean, viability is fifteen percent of the of the people in that caucus location. Right. Yep. yep. So in a so that so I, I think that's a, so the, the interesting thing about this campaign versus sixteen. You know, there were I think three people running at that time. Maybe there were maybe there were four, but this year there's twenty five. Right. So it's possible that the major vast majority of the people aren't going to be viable. So we there's are, a big yeah that number two, um, your second selection is key, right? Yeah, it's a serious concern. Um, And we're doing something a little bit different this year too, where we're offering an online version, um, which will add a new complexity as if we needed more (laughs) in this year. Um, Walk us through, how does that work? The specifics, I would have to defer to, um, you know, some of our, our, Troy Price, um, Mm -hmm. our our, uh, state delegate, or not delegate, our chair. Um, but basically, it, if you sign up to do it remotely, you're going to that caucus, you know, that 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 virtual precinct will get a certain percentage guaranteed that they're going to be able to get of delegates. So interestingly enough, what I'm concerned about is that say, what if everybody decide to do that, then you're going to kind of water down their votes, right? Because it's just this is what they're allotting, you know, that that weight. Um, for online. But I mean, we're trying to meet people where they're at. I think we're trying to be very accommodating um, with ADA um, mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to help facilitate people to just get engaged, you know, at, at all costs. Right, right. So yeah, we'll see. Physical barriers, right, are obviously one challenge to having right. folks and child care. Yes. And the fact that it's in the middle of the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, and we had a long winter this year, too. Yeah. So you never it's can predict. cold. Yeah. And, uh, you could have a lot of snow on the ground. Right. Um, but you can't, w- once you commit, you can't double dip. You can't do the online and then say, you know, I kind of had oh, a change of heart. I want to show up in person. Nope, that's that's it. So oh, wow. that's um, I think I'll stay with the traditional methods. Um, yeah. And, should be going and be there in person. It's just, it, it's, um, it's a really uh, nostalgic atmosphere mm. to see people, you know, kind of outwardly expressing what's been toiling around in their brains. Yeah. Um, to figure out why do you like this and who are you looking to? Because yeah. th- I think that's kind of the critical thing is who are the who are the change makers that other people are looking to to kind of get some guidance, especially if their candidate isn't viable, which is going to be most people this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's going to be wild. Uh, switching gears to Senate races, if I can. Yeah. Mark Kelly's running for Senate in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Gabby Gifford's husband. What's the hot goss? What do you have on he that is Senate out race? raising the number one fundraiser in the Republican caucus who's running for re-election. And I think that's a sign that not only do we have an excellent candidate in Mark, but we have a real possibility 
for the first time in 30 years, having two Democratic Senate. Well, we didn't have a Democratic Senate until Kirsten won since I'd been alive. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we could potentially take out one of the most competitive senators uh, with Martha McSally, who is not elected, she was appointed. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, an important thing because people are like, she's running for re-election. I'm like, no, she lost the race. Our senior senator is Senator Sinema. Right. Um, And Mark is going to give her a run for her money. And I think he's literally doing that by outraising her. Um, when I look and I talk to co- uh, to folks all over the state of Arizona, I think the number one thing that people are wanting yeah. is somebody who is going to really focus on those issues that Arizonans care about. So it's things like health care, which is what was so pivotal in 2018, right. making sure that we have high quality jobs and affordable housing. When you look at Arizona, we're seeing a lot of growth, but we're not seeing the kind of growth that is conducive to the issues that people who have been in these communities for decades are able to even live in the places where they grew up and want to raise their kids because they're being priced out. And while some people are doing really well, a lot of other folks are not. So how are we going to deal with those issues? And I think as we get closer to the election, Mark is going to continue to talk about the importance of pre-existing conditions being protected because if it had not been for John McCain, the Affordable Care Act could have potentially been repealed. Um, And yet here he is running against a woman who was the protege and the mentee of John McCain, who wouldn't even mention his name when the National Defense Reauthorization Act happened a couple of months ago. So it'll be a great race. I think there are a couple of other really exciting things. We are on the verge of getting a new congressional seat in Arizona, Mm -hmm. but that means that we have to worry about the census and the legislature wouldn't fund a whole count committee. So we have to work with different partners in the cities to try and cobble together something to make sure that Arizonans, especially in light of what happened over the last couple of weeks over the question of whether or not citizenship would be on the census, mm-hmm. who are really hesitant about filling out an unofficial form saying like, this is what it is because we don't know how it'll be used. And even though there are laws that say it can't be used for X number of decades, people do not trust the Trump administration to not use this information in a way that would harm our communities. Right. What outside of that would you say is Mark Kelly's biggest challenge in the Senate race? I think the biggest challenge for Mark is making sure that he's getting his message out to folks because there are a lot of preconceived notions about Mm -hmm. Mark. I mean, he's an astronaut. Mm -hmm. Um, He is somebody who is married to Congresswoman Giffords, and that carries both a lot of interesting things, but also people are going to say, well, all he cares about is X, Y, or Z. But the reality is when you talk to Mark, I was with him in Nogales when he was talking to the Fresh Produce Association about tariffs on tomatoes. So like this is somebody who is not only extremely intelligent, Mm -hmm. but he is well-versed in a variety of issues and he's willing to talk about them where McSally has not got on the record on a lot of things. So you don't even know what her position is. So he's going out there and making sure that people know that he is not a single issue candidate and that he is the person who is going to stand up for Arizonans is going to think be both a challenge, but also it gives him an opportunity to define who he is because now first time ever that he's having to be the one out in front and not Gabby in an election. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. Should we uh, launch the lightning round? Sure. Pretty soon. Got a couple couple more questions. Daniel's ready. Uh, are you ready? I was ready. Whatever. Actually, Ashley, I need you to help me with something. Okay. I need you to arm me with the right argument so when I go back home, I can tell people why Iowa is still a presidential battleground state. So I think Iowa remains important because it is so accessible to get to know the candidates. Um, where we lack in uh, population, 
we get to intrinsically know these candidates inside and out. We're having meals with them. Um, you know, I, uh, I've got a lot of them on text message. Um, I know their families. Um, I've met them tens of times. So at this point in time, um, I can say that I'm pretty familiar with each and every one of them, um, even some of the smaller candidates. And so you're not going to get that exposure in bigger states. You're just not. Um, they don't have the time. They don't have the resources. Since we're first up, we set that first impression. Um, and so it becomes important because this is where, I mean, John Delaney has had staff there. We can talk about that never. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he's had staff there for two and a half years, right. two and a half years. You know, so you get to know uh, fundamentally who these people are inside and out, whether they're legitimate or not, um, you know, whether they're for show or they really mean business if they actually take the time to get to know the people that they're trying to um, kind of do their bidding with. Um, and so I think that that's why we remain important. Just we, we have much more exposure to these people. Yeah. No. Well, obviously, I think you're you're absolutely right as it relates to the caucus. I think the question that Democrats are going to face and whoever the eventual nominee is and the party will face is how much do we invest in Iowa for the general election? Is it still a battleground state in the general election, the way in which I mean, what's interesting to me is I think we've got we've got a guy here from Arizona. We've got Ashley from Iowa. And, you know, as early as you go back to 2012, you know, Barack Obama won Iowa and uh, and it was a battleground state candidate both candidates were coming in and out of the it, and it's been like that for a long mm -hmm. time in the general Arizona on the other hand you know we didn't I, I don't know if Obama really spent a whole lot of time in Arizona in 2012 but in we had 20, Michelle once yeah okay so and then in 2016 Democrats kind of did head fakes but then obviously in 2018 with cinema's win and some of the changing demographics of the state there's a lot of optimism that it's going to be a battleground state. So it's almost like you have one state moving moving towards being a more competitive battleground and one moving away from it. So is that am I am I seeing that I wrong? I like Iowa, but I'm going to go ahead and say Arizona is a cheaper date. Mm -hmm. Um to make the change and when we're looking at battlegrounds and making smart investments, Arizona has not had this kind of investment ever really. Um the cinema win showed that we can actually win not just kind of get close like we did in 2016 with Hillary coming within four points of beating Donald Trump in Arizona. So when I'm looking at places and I'm trying to sell Arizona, so no offense, Ashley, but I think it makes more sense to invest in the Southwest. When we look at what's happened in Nevada and Colorado, we have a roadmap for how we can turn a state that's been identified as red for a long time and turn it into a purple and eventually a blue state. If you look at Colorado, nobody's talking about Colorado being this like fierce battleground anymore because they laid a strong foundation through the 2008 and 2012 campaigns. So Arizona, I think, is ripe for the picking. Um, we have a U.S. Senate race. We have competitive legislative races. So I think there are a lot of reasons where it makes more sense to invest in a place where the demographics are changing and where the future of the party, I think, really is. That doesn't mean that we cede Iowa. It just means that... How do we get Iowa back? <laughs> you know, the, the problem is, is that we're not safe enough. Um, we just, uh, you know, and I, I was... Uh, very involved in in helping um, uh, oust Congressman Blum and uh, introducing 
one of the other youngest uh, Congress members, uh, Representative Abby Finkenauer, mm-hmm. um, at 29, um, took office. Uh, but what I'm saying is that that's not safe. She has a very well-known um, Republican opponent this next year. That's going to be up. Um, you know, Joni, Senator Joni Ernst is going to be up. This is not safe. It, it could go either way. So you can't, we're not at a point where um, people should turn our backs on us. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, there was a time when people basically wrote off Ohio. Yeah. Um, but why a, are we writing off any place? This is how we, we talked about this at the beginning of the segment, right? Mm-hmm. That we continue to do this where the I mean, that's horrible that they haven't gone. And, and I know that that is extremely expensive. But, you know, ditch some of these billboards and actually just work the streets. This is what it comes down to. This is what we know at the local level. So it doesn't make sense to me that people are spending millions and millions of dollars and that people are getting very wealthy off these campaigns. But what they're not doing is actually working for the people and getting to know those people. They should be in every single state. I mean, we have millions of people in the U.S. This this doesn't need to be this way. Right. Who has the best operation in Iowa right now? Cory Booker. Really? Why is that? He... Um, so I actually, uh, I encourage him to run repeatedly. I really appreciate him as a person, a phenomenal mentor. Um, what I would say is that when I was really excited about him coming, he came and speak, um, spoke at one of our events um, last fall. And I was so blown away by his passion and, and the genuine um, intelligence that he has for the issues. I mean, he this was right after the Kavanaugh hearings. Um and I started texting him staffers and I said, you need to know about all these people. Mm. And he got them. And so they are the people who um, are very tenured. So it, it's hard for me because I see the polls. And what I continue to tell his staff is that I don't not love Senator Booker. Like, he's amazing. He's amazing. I want to hang out with him. I want to, uh, you know, tackle all these issues. I need him to poll better so that he's taken more seriously. But his staff are some of the best staff that we have. Why, why isn't Cory Booker doing better? Honestly, I think it's it's the same problem that um, Secretary Castro has. They're so nice that they're not really fighters. And the funny thing is, is again, uh, you know, I have to own my awkwardness. And, and I walked away from this conversation after I just saw him at the New Leaders Council conference last weekend. Um along with Mayor Pete Buttigieg and uh, uh, Secretary Castro. But I, I told Corey as I, as I brought him a vegan brownie from Cedar Rapids up to Des Moines because I know that he doesn't take the time to eat um, on the road. And so my understanding was that he was four diet Mountain Dews in oh on the day. And I was like, okay, well, the, a bare minimum, because we don't have a lot of vegan options in Iowa. <laughs> Here you go. Here's some sustenance. Um, but I, I told him, I was like, I need you to really go in there and, and you know, rock this next debate. Go in there and crack some skulls. And I walked away and I was like, what am I saying? <laughs> this is so awkward. <laughs> but I, I didn't get to watch it because I was on the plane. So um, I still have to, you know, give it with, you know, my own two eyes, take a look at that. Um, but I heard he did really well. You just, it, the ni- nice guys struggle to win. Well, especially when voters are thinking about who can go toe-to-toe with someone like Donald right. Trump. You right. know, like, I don't know that a message of love and compassion will be heard over Trump's, like, you know, it's, loud, bullying. Whatever topics. you want to yeah. call him. <laughs> I, I hope somebody has asked me this before. They've said, um, you know, have you met President Trump? And I said, not yet. I said, but I look forward to the day that 
I can meet him because I want to thank him for inspiring me to run. Mm. Because if it wouldn't have been for that, I I don't think I would have seen the need. If Hillary was our president right now, um, I don't think that I would be, you know, have made a lot of the life decisions that I have because I would have felt comfortable. And that's what, you know, part of our problem was is that we got real comfortable with Barry. Mm-hmm. Bless him. But, you know, but we just, we forgot that it, you know, that this isn't guaranteed. So again, with Iowa, with Arizona, you can't guarantee any of this stuff. You always have to continue that hard work. It's it's never ending. Yeah. Wow. Daniel, what do you think about the debates? I have been staying away from the debates as much as possible, <laughs> but I'll give you the reason why. There are too many damn candidates. And yeah. it's hard because when people say, well, what do you like? Who are you in favor of? And I like things about Kamala. I like things about Bernie. I like things about a lot of different people. But with 10 candidates over two nights, that's five hours that I have to give up to watch this debate. So I watch clips. But it's only five hours. Five hours. That's it. You know, Otherwise, we're going to end up with a President Trump again. Five hours of your time. I know it's time away from constituents and everything like that, but that's what I continue to tell people is it's only five hours of your year. It's worth My the investment. My only respect to that is I'm going to wait until like September when we have whittled down the field to a more manageable size of candidates. Like I've had outreach from five campaigns at this point. And I joke that like, if I'm getting a call from either one of the top people or the candidate, they are not gonna be in the top tier in September if they're calling an Arizona state representative. Um, So I wanna see what the field looks like in September because right now I think there's gonna be some great moments and we've seen Senator Harris have a great moment against Joe Biden. We've seen different folks have different moments, but will those moments last until September or October? And do I want to commit to somebody now in, uh, sorry, in August, only to have them be out of the race? And then I'm already tainted as having been the previous supporter of X. So I think for me, I'm waiting. I'm going to see what happens over the next couple months. We saw uh, Elizabeth Warren was in Arizona yesterday at a sold out crowd. They had literally hundreds of people waiting to get in. Um, We've had a lot of folks that have come in multiple times who are not getting the same kind of traction. Like Secretary Castro has been there at least three times and God love him. He's a nice guy, but he's not getting the the kind of traction. So for me, it's for my own sanity. (laughs) I'm staying away and waiting until we have a better idea of who are the top tier. Although we kind of already have that sense, but who can make it to September? Senator Gillibrand, who is someone who I met after the shooting, I thought would be doing a lot better than she is right now. She's so and nice. She is so nice, but she's had these moments like she did with the Clorox thing. And I'm like, but is that going to be enough to sustain somebody until September or October? And why get invested? Like I have this new rule after 2016. I was working for Planned Parenthood and I was helping coordinate um, Colorado and Nevada. I was doing the coordinated campaign for Planned Parenthood. Um, and I decided after that election that I was never going to be emotionally invested in a presidential campaign again because it was the second time that Hillary had lost (laughs) and it was like soul crushing because that's how I got my start in politics. So for me, just kind of to protect myself and mentally and emotionally, I'm going to wait until it's time because whoever becomes the nominee, I will work my butt off to make sure that they get elected. I will do whatever we can in Arizona. If they need me to go and do, I was a little bit of a surrogate for president Obama in 2012. Like I will travel. I will do whatever I need to. I want to win, but that's why I'm going to wait until we have a better sense of who the top tier candidates are going to be because I don't want to hitch my horse to somebody who's then going to be out in a month because they couldn't break the threshold, couldn't raise the money and are stuck, you know, at 2%. So this goes back to, though, 
why Iowa remains important because we are studying this. I'm hosting presidential candidates, you know, up, sometimes up to five a week. Who's been most impressive to you? Oh, I mean, there's so many of them, you know, that we <laughs> have this exposure to. Yeah. But but impressive, um, honestly, I was really perturbed by uh, the Pocahontas thing. I just thought, you know what, your advanced team uh, did not do – you justice to well vet that topic before you took that fight on. I did not want to. I went into meeting and, and I had my nevertheless, she persisted, which is a ray gun shirt too. I had that on to meet uh, Senator Warren and she was so intelligent. You could not, uh, I mean, you couldn't uh, take your eyes off her. Hmm. She just was so intelligent. Um, but there are other Another people. Another Elizabeth Warren fan. I know. Well, I mean, it, she's in my top five. Yeah. yeah. Who, if the Iowa caucuses were well, that this is not the this isn't the right question because if the Iowa caucuses, I don't think that's a fair question. I was going to say if it was if they were held today, who would win? Project forward from today, looking knowing what you know about these candidates, you've met a lot of them, what you're seeing on the ground, what you're seeing as far as you know people's operations. You're obviously paying attention to what they're raising in terms of money. If you had a top three, you know, from sort of third to first, who's the most likely person today to win the um, Iowa caucuses? Can I give you the five I'm watching? Okay, give me the five you're watching. Okay, so Mayor Pete Buttigieg. You think he can win? I'm just telling you the people that... No, I know, I know, you're watching, but you think he could, could he win? I think he will most likely be a vice. What I am seeing is... Harris's team heavily court uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. It's interesting. I mean, in Iowa on the ground. Yeah. I mean, so that's the other thing, too, is I'm watching these relationships and watching how they talk or not talk about each other and how they defend each other. And and there is something there um, inherently. And Uh, is that the – so are they courting him for viability reasons? I think as, as, as a vice. Right. No, no. I, uh, but OK. No, I hear, I get that. But I mean, is there do you think there's something also they're hoping, you know, in the event right. that he isn't viable that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because they're 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 uh, partners. Their their spouses are hanging out together quite a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, but but also there's an interesting relationship between Senator Booker and Secretary Castro. Because I hear them saying complimentary feedback about each other. It's something that we should be watching. Like there is definitely, a, you know, more than a friendship there um, as far as how they are professionally um, related. You know, mm-hmm. they are working together in some capacity because there are some weaknesses that each of them have, right? But they will not call each other on it because they clearly are kind of supporting each other. Right. That's interesting. What yeah. about... Um, you can't what about- discount Kamala. She's... Yeah, wh- so- she's yeah, yeah, talk to us about her operation in Iowa. What are you hearing? What's I mean, this I think this, the, the they, they have some good staff. I think it can be, can be better. Uh, one of my living superstars, um, like real life action hero, uh, Deidre DeGere, is you know her political director. That is not nothing. If Deidre calls me, I'm like, what do you need? <laughs> and so when she told me that she was working, I was like, Deidre, this isn't even fair, because. You know, I just respect her so much that if this is who uh, Deidre is, you know, hitching her wagon to, that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so th- they have great staff. Uh, you know who has almost no one on the ground is Biden. No one. There's, I've met a couple, and I am meeting Who's with. Who's the state director? Do you know? I don't even know. 
that's the problem. I met them. They did a speech. It was extremely lackluster. He looked very tired. And I love Joe. I mean, I liken myself to be a, a local Leslie Nope. And so when he came, I was all hyped up and I got my picture and I was getting all the other grannies and little, you know, kids up there to get their pictures and stuff too. And then I heard him, you know, speak, uh, speak later. And I just, I thought like, this can't be it. This is, this is what you're bringing. This is tired at best. It wasn't great. He was fumbling over words and stuff like that. And I just thought you're better than this. If this is supposed to be our, you know, number one contender, yikes. He was kind of that way in the second debate. He stumbled over his words a little bit, at least in the first half. And I feel like in small settings, when I've heard him speak, he sounds tired. But he is looking more beautiful than I've ever seen him. I want to just say that he is glowing. Whatever who's taking care of his skincare is doing an excellent job. What about Bernie Sanders? How's his operation? Um, Who is he? Does he have any friends on the trail? No. He, um, they are not doing anything ordinary. Um, they're not meeting with elected officials, which is what kind of everybody else, as far as like uh, courting stakeholders, they're not doing that. But they have this undying support from the 2016 mm-hmm. um, election, and and that is that is diehard. Those yeah. are ride or die fans. But his numbers, obvious. I mean, it's not the same support as it was in 16, right? I mean, he he almost won the Iowa caucuses in 16. Now he's polling at in the teens. Well, when you put when you put like Senator Warren up against him, right? People say, "Okay, but this is Bernie-esque, except it's a fierce woman." So, now it's a lot less Bernie. Right. Well, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love getting I love diving into Iowa politics and hearing about what's going on in Arizona. Um Obviously, you got there's for a number of different reasons. Each state is critical, um, yeah. and um, we'll be paying close attention to both uh, the Iowa caucuses, the Senate race in Arizona, and then you know likely the Arizona being a battleground, and mm-hmm. hopefully Iowa is a battleground. So, Ashley Van Orney, thank you so much for joining the Electables today. Yeah, thanks really for having it. me. Yeah, it was great. And Daniel Hernandez, state representative from. Um, from Tucson, thank you for having us. And Ashley is a council member from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank no, you for sharing your smarts. Thank you. And, well, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Thank you for leading the way. Well, you know, <laughs> did my best. <laughs> Carrying the torch. Carrying the torch. <laughs> Lexi, thank you so much for thank you. coming down to the to Miami Thanks. and doing this. It's cool. Yeah. It's a good excuse to come it, down. It, it, did it rain? I can't tell if it rained. I don't think so. You've been looking out this gray. I know. I think it passed by. It's a really beautiful view. Yeah, there's a yacht down there. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I've ever seen one in person. A yacht? Yeah. Oh, come yeah. on. No, I'm serious. Are you here until Sunday? Yacht? We're going on a boat for I'm lunch. I'm leaving before. <laughs> Darn. I don't know. When am I? I'm, I don't I'm see sure. yachts. I don't know. Yeah, I grew up in from... Illinois. I lived in New York. Do I live in D.C.? Where are the yachts? I mean, there's yachts in Illinois. There's a lot of money. Yeah. Not in Rockford, Illinois. Okay. No. <laughs> Rockford, yeah. yeah. Well, not in Cedar Rapids, <laughs> yeah, Iowa either. <laughs> Cedar River isn't exactly built for that. <laughs> yeah, the Rock River is not hosting any yacht parties, that's for sure. Well, we should uh, we should take over someone's yacht down yeah. there tonight. Yeah, who next podcast. Know? Who do we know? Yeah, yeah, who do we know? I don't Like I just said, I have not seen Gay a yacht Rod. in person until now. Talk to yeah. Gay Rod. Yeah, Gay Rod's got the yacht connects. Uh, thanks, guys. Yes. Really appreciate it. And uh, Lexi, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy weekend. And uh, this is Doug Thornell signing off uh, for the electables, and we'll catch you next time.